You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans, and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Available on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Alexa, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at NolaJake on Twitter. Here with you all on this Friday, wrapping up a week's worth of podcast for your still 3-0 Pelicans, but they got two games this weekend, one tonight. It is a game day here in the Crescent City, and then a back-to-back tomorrow against what's probably going to be their toughest test during this homestand here, the Utah Jazz. We'll preview both those games for you coming up in a little bit, but first I do want to mention one or two more things going on with David Cern and the Pelicans. The Pels put out, maybe you'd call it a rebuttal of sorts regarding his statement the other day in that Sports Illustrated piece about general manager Dell Demps. We do need to touch on that because this is a little bit more complicated than I think it needs to be, but we got to kind of touch on one or two like nuancey things with it. Then we are going to look at Solomon Hill. Someone asked that we kind of talk about his role on the podcast here and we oblige. So a lot to cover in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. If you're a new listener, thank you very much for tuning in. Again, the Pelicans 3-0, two games this weekend. It is a fun time to be a Pels fan and kind of get all the knowledge you need about this team. And if you've been with me for any period of time, thank you all for listening and sticking through some pretty bad periods of time we've had with this Pelicans team. But now it's fun and we're happy. So tell your friends, get them clued in on how much fun and how special this season could be for your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans, by getting them to subscribe. And you should subscribe as well to the Locked on Pelicans podcast. So I touched on it yesterday, the David Stern comments about general manager Dell Demps being a, quote, lousy general manager here and kind of rehashing all the stuff and the, the trade he vetoed as the owner, which he had every right to do. And I think all of us kind of look at this and go, okay, good. Because also, if they don't take that deal with the Clippers and they take that Lakers one, they still might be a fringe playoff team. And you likely don't end up with Anthony Davis on this New Orleans squad. So that's kind of an important thing to keep in mind with, with that all here as well. One of the things, there's some quick backlash to David Stern, and there should be because, look, there's just no need to kind of say what he did. And the Pelicans did put out an official statement here basically saying, like, chill out, man. Like, there's just no need for this. And this is the statement from them if you haven't seen it yet. And I'm going to quote it here. We are very disappointed to read the inappropriate and inaccurate comments from the former NBA commissioner regarding the New Orleans Pelicans. Our organization has the utmost confidence in our general manager, Dell Depps. He is part of our family. The, 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 he's part of our family, the NBA family. We are excited about the direction of our team, the 3-0 start to, of this season, building on the success of the 2017-18 playoffs. Finally, our organization is excited and proud to be a part of the NBA with the progressive and innovative leader of the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver. So they did the right thing. They defended their GM as they should. There's nothing wrong with that. And then they got to throw in kind of a, a nice little swipe at David Stern saying they're proud to be a part of the NBA with the progressive and innovative, le- innovative leadership of NBA commissioner, Adam Silver. 
I don't know if that was necessary, but it's kind of a little bit fun to throw it in there. That last sentence just be like, screw you, bud. Uh, but look, David Stern is an important figure in NBA basketball for being the commissioner, of course, but also really here in New Orleans. Without him, there's no NBA team here in the city at all. It's as simple as that. He stood by New Orleans after the after Katrina happened and they had to move to Oklahoma City for a period of time. And when George Shin kind of went insolvent and had no money to keep this team running, he stepped in and bought him to keep him here and to find a local buyer. There are plenty of other people that would buy this team and immediately move them as soon as they could. David Stern didn't sell to those guys who could have offered more than what Tom Benson was willing to pay for the team at the time, supposedly somewhere around $330 million, $335 maybe. That's low. Other people would spend way more to move a team to Seattle or somewhere else, and he didn't let that happen. Now, part of that might have been because of the backlash from the Sonics moving to Oklahoma City, and he didn't want to have that happen under his watch again. But he did stick by this city, even in dark times and in times when it looked like this was just not making much sense. So as much as people want to go out and bash David Stern, you got to keep that in mind that without him, and as much of a dick as he can be, and he is in this case, he's still kind of important and there's a lot to not necessarily thank him for appreciate that he's done for new Orleans. So just kind of add some more nuance to the discussion. Of course, his take on some of this stuff is not great either. You know, if you're looking back and saying none of those players are currently with the team, well, Chris Paul's not with the Clippers anymore either. So does that mean that this was just a wash on both sides of it or what exactly? So I don't know if the, the reading that he has is any more correct. But look, David Stern was important. Again, to New Orleans, to the league as a whole, he ushered them out of kind of where they were. The finals were tape delayed. Like the NBA finals were not shown live because that's how unpopular the sport was. Rampant with drugs and other shit going on with there. And he kind of really ushered in this age where it, it's led to kind of the success that they're having. And now Adam Silver really is building on that and trying to take it a step further. So it's kind of like when you have like a coach that takes you to the playoffs a bunch and then you need to fire him and get a coach who's going to take you to a championship because you think that guy's kind of done all he can as my cat runs in here to come say hi um, and almost try and like knock the microphone over. Thanks, Pope. And so that's kind of the situation we have here with Adam Silver. So I do like that the Pelicans threw that in. But David Stern's important, unfortunately. He might be a dick and this curmudgeonly old guy that's coming off this way. But he did save basketball here in New Orleans. Alongside the Bensons, that's important too. They were willing to buy the team. So I think all of it, you got to kind of look at overall, there's some more nuance to this than just being like, this dude sucks and he needs to shut up about the Pelicans and general manager Dell Demps. So now that that's behind us, we got to talk about Solomon Hill. We got to preview the weekend because we got two big games coming up for the Pelicans as they look to hopefully go to 5 0. We'll start with 4 0 first. But before we do that, your company could be featured right here. And if you're looking for new customers, this is a great way to reach people. Listeners are 60% more likely to interact with sponsors from their favorite podcast with live reads, mentions in the open and the close of the show, than other media audiences and are strong. It's 98% male, but it has more earnings, so more money to spend, and higher education than traditional media audiences. Also, look at digital advertising. That's dropping with the way Facebook and these other places are getting in trouble with things and the way the data breaches are. You don't have that kind of problem here, so you never need to worry about that. Reach me at LockedOnPels at gmail.com. That's LockedOnPels at gmail.com to see what we can do about advertising here on the Locked On Pelicans podcast. 
All right, time to talk about Solomon Hill. Before we preview the two games upcoming, Solomon Hill, eighth highest minutes per game on this Pelicans team through three games, so it's still a small sample size. And Alvin Gentry said after practice the other day, they don't have like their finalized rotation just yet. He'd like to get it to right around nine guys. So things are still in flux a little bit as they've been integrating new people to this team. You haven't really seen Wes Johnson out there at all. Tim Frazier's only played four total minutes. So it kind of shows you that, yeah, there, there isn't a ton to read into kind of the rotation of minutes just yet because a lot of this, particularly with seven, eight, nine, ten, those guys in the rotation are kind of subject to change right now. But Solomon Hill, eight, he's playing 18.3 minutes per game just behind Darius Miller who's paired with a lot at 18.7 minutes per game Darius Miller to kind of depending on how they're doing it he's playing the two Solomon Hill's playing the three then sometimes Solomon Hill shifts forward plays the four Miller plays the three just depending on the lineups that they use he's not scoring particularly well not that we were expecting him to um, through uh, the three games that he's played 2.7 points per game um, and you know, that's really the only thing of note, two rebounds and 1.7 assists. So, okay. He's averaging 1.3 steals during that time. That's not bad shooting from the field, just 33.3% though. He is shooting 40% from the three point range, which is a career high for him through three games. So it's very small. He's not taken very many three point attempts. And you saw him the other night at the home game, um, not scoring particularly well, but he's two of five. So it could be worse. He's made two of them. Uh, that's something, I guess. If you look at it per 36 minutes, 5.2 points per game, almost four rebounds per game, 3.3 assists. He's passing well. We've seen that alongside 2.6 steals. So that could be pretty good. And he give you just a hair over one, three per game during that. That's not why you're looking at him. You're looking at the lineups that he's being used in. Is he being used as a four? Is he being used as a three? And is he helpful on the defensive side of the ball? That's what he's known for. It's a small sample size. He's featured in a few different lineups. Basically, when he's out there, though, you have Darius Miller almost in every single lineup. In his top four lineups, Darius Miller is in there. Now, the max lineup has 11 minutes during that time, and their net rating is a negative 30.8, an offensive rating of 103.8, and a defensive rating of 134.6. Pretty bad. 11 minutes. That features Drew Holiday at the one, Darius Miller at the two, Solomon Hill at the three, Nikola Mirotic at the four, and Randall at the five. So that's kind of your front court right there. The next most used lineup basically just subs out Drew Holiday for Ian Clark. That play has played 10 minutes. And basically, you kind of flip the script here. They have a 30.1 positive net rating. So having that guy in Ian Clark, who's kind of playing point guard and creating, seems to work really well. That also means that if you have Ian Clark in there instead of Holiday, they're running kind of against some more scrubby type players. So I think that kind of boosts the numbers here. Basically, you've got to be careful about playing him with non-shooters. Him with Mirotic on the court definitely makes more sense. Him with Miller on the court makes some sense, though I'm not particularly enamored with both of those two out there. But at least there's a shooter there. Ian Clark can shoot. Drew Holiday can shoot. So it works a little bit better. He has not done well with Anthony Davis. In the two lineups uh, in the top four where he's paired with AD, and this is the concern. They both have a net, uh, negative net rating. First one of Alfred Payton, Darius Miller, uh, Solomon Hill, Julius Randle, and Anthony Davis has a net rating of negative 5.9. They're scoring basically 100 points per 100 possessions in a defensive rating of 105.9. Not good there. 
Um, but there's room for improvement. But again, I think it's just him with AD. If they're not playing well together, that's a big concern here. The next lineup is Drew Holiday, Darius Miller at the two, Solomon Hill at the three, Julius Randle at the four, and Anthony Davis at the five right there. So basically, you sub in Holiday for Alfred Payton. Played his four total minutes. It's an offensive rating of 41.7 and a defensive rating of 72.7 and a negative 31.1 net rating. So not good either. You can see him and Anthony Davis not too great on the court right now when those are your top two lineups with Hill and AD. It just doesn't space the court for AD, and we've seen when he's out there with Miritich, it works really well. Randall can space the court and hit threes. Solomon Hill doesn't hit threes. It's two of five on the season. We know he's not a good three-point shooter overall. He does try, though. Like, you've got to give him credit for that. You're not out there and just being like, screw this dude. He had a couple of really nice passes in the win over the Los Angeles Clippers. He had a couple of nice, really good defensive plays. I think there were like three straight possessions where he basically forced the Clippers into a turnover. And then on the fourth one, he completely gets blown by and gets burned that way. And then just gives you next to nothing on the offensive end. He took two back-to-back corner threes. I think he missed both of them or maybe he made one. But he's left wide open and he's left wide open for a reason. And if he cannot be a you know a 35-plus percent three-point shooter, it's rough to put him out there with Anthony Davis because then you're just allowing AD to get double-teamed. That's why you're seeing his top lineups are not included with AD because they realize the court spacing just is not there at all. And again, there's a reason he's not playing with Etuan Moore a whole lot because you need Etuan Moore out there with Anthony Davis so that you've got to kind of shuffle your lineup a little bit this way. This is why Etuan starts at the three over a guy like Solomon Hill, who's maybe better equipped to defend that, but at least the shooting is there and he can space the court properly on offense, take some pressure off AD, be an outlet, and hold up well enough on the defensive end. He's not as good guarding threes as Solomon Hill is, but Solomon Hill is above average defender at best right now. Maybe part of it's still working his way back from that injury um, that he had surgery on in the quad and everything and he didn't look right at the end of last year and you didn't really see him in the playoffs a whole lot because of it but you know that right now it's a bench player and you have to figure the Pelicans would like to trade them or trade him immediately if they could but moving that contract's a little bit more difficult so that's kind of how he's being used he's useful in certain spurts he can do good things against the second unit defensively But that's kind of all he is, just a defensive role player at this point, which isn't bad to have, but you'd like it to be a better defender overall than Solomon Hill has been. So not only do we have two games this weekend for the New Orleans Pelicans that we will preview in just a moment here, but you also got a big Saints game as well, traveling up to Minnesota, trying to get revenge for the last second playoff loss. I think we'd all like to see that. No better way to keep up with that team than listening to Ross Jackson and Locked On Saints. Monday through Friday, five days a week, just like Locked On Pels. Make sure you listen and subscribe to Locked On Saints. All right, pair of 500 teams coming to New Orleans this weekend, starting tonight in the Smoothie King Center with the Brooklyn Nets. They're 2-2 two and two with a, their last game being a pretty big win over the Cleveland Cavaliers. They also have a victory over the Knicks, but with losses to Detroit, and they were blown out by Indiana uh, in their third game. They do one or two things well that maybe makes this a little bit tougher than on paper it should be, but when you look at them, 
Yeah, they, they shouldn't stand a chance. They're kind of middling of the pack. They're not the terrible, crappy Nets we're used to. They do have the, you know, 18th best offense, so bottom half of the league there, and the 15th best defense, so kind of middle of the pack there. And they play with the second slowest pace in the league, actually, you know, um, so I think that's a big thing, too. They don't really have guys that can get out and run and don't have anyone who can maybe keep up with Anthony Davis. What this team does well is contest shots. In terms of opponent E field goal percentage, there's the six best. The Clippers were the same way, and we saw that kind of give the Pelicans trouble in that game. But if they can get out and run, you're not as worried about the Nets contesting shots because you're running in the fast break, and they don't have the man advantage. So someone's just going to be open and scoring at the rim and problem solved. They're not a particularly great rebounding team either. The Pelicans should be able to control the glass in this one. And as long as they just don't kind of play half-court offense, it should be okay. The Nets are good at limiting and running guys off the three-point line. They have a lot of athletic wings that they have a multitude of, so you see kind of different lineups with those guys all out there. At the same time, guys like Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, you see uh, Karis LeVert out there as well. So those guys are going to try and run people off and try and funnel you inside, but the Pelicans, again, don't rely on tons of three-point shots to get their win. So I think that's going to be a big thing. Karis LeVert is their best scoring option, 21 points per game. He does that only taking three three-point attempts per game. So most of his shots trying to come inside. So take away the paint. He could burn them, though, because we've seen the Pelicans struggle in interior defense, letting guys get in. Anthony Davis gets caught out of position because they're trying to suck him out of there, and you don't have the rim protection that you'd like. And that's how teams were scoring. The Clippers were doing it too when their bigs weren't taking threes. They were kind of slashing. Levert can do that. So if you can contain him, if you get a better defensive game from Miritich on switches, on help defense, I think that's a real big thing. D'Angelo Russell is averaging 13.3 points per game for him in the backcourt. You guys really worried about that with Drew Holiday there? Yeah, me either. Joe Harris is there too. He's their second leading scorer for the Brooklyn Nets, playing the two guard, averaging almost 15 points per game. Again, I think Alfred Payton and Drew Holiday have shown they've been a pretty good backcourt. Jared Allen playing center, power forward for him, 12 and a half points per game. I, again, it's Anthony Davis. We've got the bigs that can kind of handle it. Maybe when you get to the bench, they can do some damage. You've got Spencer Dinwiddie, who also plays point guard for them. He can be a, a go-to scorer. He's got good size too. He's 6'6". That's Pretty rough for a backup point guard. You see guys like Sean Livingston, who's 6'7", do, do some damage as well, with, particularly when you can see over some of these guys. But now you don't have Rondo back there. You have a taller guard in Alfred Payton. Etwan Moore's got decent size. If you get Ian Clark matched up on him back there, that could be a problem. Tim Frazier is okay enough size. So there's he, he's a bit of a concern. He's averaging 13 and a half points per game. And then you've got Ed Davis, who's gonna is just, just an energy monster, is what I want to call him, off the bench. 17 minutes per game, averaging 8.8 rebounds. He's the guy that can kind of do the damage on the boards for this team. If you can keep him and those guys from running the second unit for the Pelicans off the court, I think this is an okay victory. We've seen they can win games when things are slowed down a little bit, when they're not getting those easy looks at the rim and kind of just tough things out. Now, it might be a different story with the team on Saturday night, the Utah Jazz. We know them very well from last year, and they kind of had the Pelicans number a little bit. Two and two so far this year, but they did just score a very big win over Houston, 
where finally Donovan Mitchell woke up for him to start the year. So this is a team that everyone kind of had in that third spot in the Western Conference, maybe. They are a slow team, too. Bottom 10 in pace. Their offense is in the bottom 10, too, but their defense is seventh best. I'm looking at basketball-reference.com here. So bit of contrast in styles. We all know about Rudy Gobert. He used to take one of Anthony Davis or DeMarcus Cousins kind of out of the game. He's so good defending the paint, defending the rim. He does struggle when you get him on the perimeter. So with guys like Miritich and Randall and AD who can all play out from there, I think that's a big thing. You've got to get him out of the paint and open that up for the offense. Otherwise, it kind of just screws everything up, and the Pelicans are going to have to rely on three-point shooting, outside shooting, to try and get this victory or trying to turn them over and just play in the fast break, which is something I don't think they'd want to necessarily solely rely on all of that shooting. Again, they're they're a very well-coached team. They limit your three-point attempts. They run you off the line, try and funnel you down there. Um, they're a very good defensive rebounding team, second best in the league. I don't think you're going to see all of the second chance points for this Pelicans team that they've been getting. A lot of that really is, of course, Rudy Gobert and kind of what the work he does down low. They get to the free throw line an absolute ton. They're led in that regard by Gobert, who's getting there almost seven times per game. Then you've got Jay Crowder, who's getting there 6.3 times per game. Donovan Mitchell, four and a half times. Derek Favors, three and a half. All these guys can get to the rim. So you're going to need to play very disciplined and not foul and just kind of know what you've got to do. This is going to be a tough game for the Pels. They can definitely get it done. In terms of on the court, though, you know Donovan Mitchell, 23.8 points per game. He'd been quiet to start the year. It seemed like he was maybe pressing a little bit too much after that huge rookie year that he had last season and wasn't, you know, to use some more cliches here, letting the game come to him. But then he had a 38-point explosion, along with seven assists, by the way, which was a career high for him and five rebounds against the Houston Rockets in the Jazz 100-89 win the other night. you got to find someone to slow him down. You've got Drew Holiday. Donovan Mitchell's so athletic and explosive that there's going to be times when Holiday gets beaten there, but keep him in front of you. I think that can be an okay thing. Joe Ingles is their second-leading point scorer. He was huge on my fantasy team last year, by the way. 17.3 points per game. He is taking 7.5 three-point attempts per game. It's a lot. And he's averaging 17, like I said, 17.3 points here. He's a very good shooter. Um, and his field goal percentage is approaching like 70% on the year. He just kind of knows how to get open. And teams are so worried about trying to take away Donovan Mitchell and defending the inside out that he gets a lot of open corner threes, a lot of looks up top. And they manufacture a good amount for him as well. That can definitely be a problem. You know, he's not the most athletic guy, but he also keeps the ball moving. Is a guy who's averaging four and a half assists per game. So while you want to run out and you know close out on him when he's open for three and he gets the ball, he might burn you otherwise. You just have to play smart against this Jazz team. You've got Dante Exum off the bench form, who has been okay. Um, and he's more of just a go-to score. Again, their second unit might kind of burn the Pelicans a little bit here. Ricky Rubio is, of course, the starter. You got Derek Favors as well, Jay Crowder, and all of these guys. They're just a well-coached, solid team that does all the little things right, and that gets you a whole lot of victories. Smart play against this one. Try and turn them over when you can. Um, this, this Jazz team does have a tendency to turn the ball over a lot. They're third worst in that in the league. Turning the ball over on almost 15 uh, percent of their possessions. Pelicans love seeing that. This is not an easy team to score against in the half court. If you get the ball, you got to run. Guys are going to need to be breaking out. 
but that puts some strain on your defense because if you do gamble or you don't get that turnover, you can end up giving them an easy bucket inside after that. So we're going to see. This is the toughest test at home. This is now where we're seeing them play a good team, and maybe that kind of gives us a better litmus, te litmus test because in theory they should be 4-0 going into this. But some of those teams have been weak other than the Houston Rockets who are struggling a little bit right now. So this kind of gives us an idea of is this Pelicans team for real? But certainly we've seen them win a variety of ways this year. It's not going to shock me if they win against the Jazz. So that's going to do it for this edition of Locked On Pelicans. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy the games this weekend. And of course, I'll be back on Monday to recap it all for you. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison at Nola Jake on Twitter. We'll be back with you all on Monday.